All right, shall we? Uh, I heard the bells, right? Okay. I'm not crazy? Okay, good. It's always good to know. It's a sliding scale. You're never sure. Okay. Um, why don't we open our time uh, with a word of prayer together? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day and the blessing of the Lord's day for the rest for our souls and also to be reminded of the good news of the gospel of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would equip us to embrace the gospel, to repent and believe, and also to help to proclaim the good news throughout the world. Pray for all faithful ministers of the gospel who preach Christ truly today. Pray that you would prosper the work of their hands and help us as we consider your word and what it says about Christ. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be considering uh, Article 2 of the Canons of Dort. Uh, They're the second head of doctrine, I should say. Um, um, Articles 5 through 7 are going to be our particular study um, this morning. And so I don't know what page that's on. Um, I failed in my duty to tell you what page to look it up. But um, it's in the back of your... (laughs) That's really helpful. Um, It's in the back of the the books on doctrine. And one of the things that we're, what what is the second head of doctrine? Maybe we'll start there. Um, This is the audience participation portion of the the morning. Uh, What what is the second head of doctrine about? Okay, very good. That's exactly what it says there. Um, Christ's death and human redemption through it. What do we, what do we call that in terms of the, the acronym of TULIP? Where are we in the TULIP? Limited atonement. Now we said last time that that, you know, that can be a particular problem in stating it that way for certain people. Um, and, and why is that? Because they want, they want everybody to be saved. Somebody said because they don't want to hear it. Um, uh, <laughs> That might be true too. Um, But I think sometimes people don't like limited atonement because it sounds like it limits the atonement. Um, And that's not what we're really after when we say, and that's why we we, we said, you know, if you encounter someone who doesn't like that, you might want to shift your fire a little bit um, and call it definite atonement. Um, Or particular redemption is another way of putting it. Or if you want to just be very simple, um, just redemption accomplished. Um, the redemption that was accomplished by the cross of our Lord. Um, that's really what we're talking about in this. So um, we talked last time about those kind of Catholic, small c, universal truths um, about the atonement that every Christian would have embraced as a truth, um, that we're all guilty, so we all deserve God's punishment, um, that Christ made satisfaction for the punishment we deserved, um, and that his death, his life and death is of an infinite value. The atonement is of infinite value. And that's kind of what, what everybody would say um, of, of those basic things. It's in the application of them that it becomes a little more difficult. But the good news that we begin with in the Canons of Dort is to say that if Christ's death is of infinite value, then it can be proclaimed to anyone. It's sufficient to cover the whole world. Um, some people have even said it's, you know, it's infinite, so it's sufficient to cover our world and 10,000 worlds besides if you wanted to cover them with the atonement because it's of infinite value. There's no amount of, 
of human sin and condemnation that cannot be covered by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the great good news of the gospel. His death is of such an infinite value, it's sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. Um, And what that then says to the church is, what do we do with a truth that precious? Well, we take it and we proclaim it to everyone, right? If we believe, and we should, that the death of Christ is sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world, then where should we take the gospel? To the whole world, right? To the ends of the earth. That's the good news of the gospel. It can be proclaimed to everybody. And that's what we get at in Article 5 of the second head of doctrine. So if you're using the Forum Prayers book, that's on page 268. <coughs> Sorry. There's no way to cough and get away from this microphone. That's the one, the one difficulty I find. Um, I turn my head and it turns with me. Um, so we want to look at Article 5 together. The mandate to proclaim the gospel to all. So Christ's death is sufficient for all, and we have a mandate to proclaim the gospel to all. Moreover, it is the promise of the gospel that whosoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be announced and declared without differentiation or discrimination to all nations and people to whom God in his good pleasure sends the gospel. To whom is the gospel to be preached? It's to be preached to everyone. Now, we've, we've updated the language here to make it a little clearer, but I miss a word that used to be here. Um, does anyone know the word that used to be here that's now been changed? We used to say you preach the gospel promiscuously. Now, it's kind of been changed for obvious reasons because promiscuity has, been, has had another connotation in our world. Um, but I used to like that word because it, it, it really captured the way we want to preach it. We want to preach it indiscriminately, right? That's what with, what out, without discrimination or, or difference means. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. As long as you're talking to a human being, the gospel is for them. Um, This is a radically scripturally informed forward way of thinking about the proclamation and the work of missions. Now, the church has not always lived up to this lofty standard, right? Sometimes the way the church has talked about missions is we're going to take the gospel to the savages, right? We as the civilized people are going to go take the gospel to the savages, um, now, that, that's not really a way of thinking about without dif- differentiation or without discrimination. Um, but this does capture the way we ought to think and the way, by God's grace, the church more and more has come to think over the centuries. You know, sort of the same way Thomas Jefferson could write, all men are created equal, at the same time he was engaging in the slave trade um, and other things that have come to light. Um, about him, right? That was a lofty ideal, but it's taken us a while to try to live up to that lofty ideal. Um, The same is communicated here. This is the lofty ideal in the church. This is what always should be true of the church when it comes to missions, to see other people as not lesser than us, not as civilized versus uncivilized or civilized versus savage or the people who know and the people who don't know, um, but the people who take the gospel to other people simply as I like how Dr. Horton always describes it, as beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We don't come to other people as if we are better people. Um, and hopefully as we go on, we, conti- we continue to see that about the gospel. Um, my dad was teaching through the Canons of Dort, and he said, 
um, that one of the older Dutch men in the congregation came up to him and said, you know, I really appreciated that article that we should preach it and treat everybody like they're the same. But he's like, I remember being in the Dutch Navy and going to Indonesia, and we did not think of them as the same as us. Um, and that the challenge for the church always has been that we're sinners, and we don't always do things as we do. But here is the clear statement of how the gospel should embrace the world. That all we do is look at other people and just see people who need Jesus. Just like us. Um, and that's true. Wherever we take the gospel in the world, no matter what the condition of the people are we're meeting, no matter where you take it, to see them fundamentally as people who need Jesus. Right? Because no matter how different they are seemingly from our worldly circumstances, we're still more like them than we are unlike them. And I don't, I don't care where you go or, or who you're talking to or where you are. Um, it's the glorious good news as you can see, you know, gangbangers from LA embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? You can see people who've done worse than we can ever imagine in the world who can come and turn and give their lives to Christ, that Christ can take them from the devil as a trophy of his grace. And the means he does that is through the preaching of the gospel. It's an amazing privilege that we've been given that we get to participate in that great work. Uh, to take the gospel and to bring it to the ends of the earth. And so we talk about the efficacy of what Christ has done, the value of what Christ has done, and then we say, since it's such a, such a great value and can be applied to anybody, our job is now to take it and apply it. Um, we, we take it now and bring it to the ends of the earth because his death is sufficient to cover those to the ends of the earth. Um, the, the, the value of his sacrifice informs the mission of the church. And that's how, that's how the articles argue. If Christ's death is of infinite value, then it's a value that's to be preached to everybody without differentiation or discrimination. Um, to everyone who's been created in Christ's image, to every tribe and tongue and people and nation, there's no one who does not need to hear the good news of the gospel. Um, and there's no one to whom the gospel comes where we can't say to them, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Right? And that's how we don't, we, we don't confuse our mission with God's eternal decrees, right? Because we could at this point start tripping over ourselves and say, what about all that stuff we said about election though? Like God has to elect them, right? Or they won't believe. That's his business, right? And when we get into the, the particular nature of the atonement or the definite nature of the atonement and start asking questions, well, for whom did he die? Well, he knows, but we don't know. Um, and so, you know, we have to <clears throat> operate on our own level. Who all he died for is above our pay grade. We don't need to know that. That's not mission critical for us. What he says is, my death is sufficient to cover whoever you talk to, so your job is to go talk to everybody about Jesus and tell them about Jesus and tell them that they can repent and believe in Jesus and be saved. Right? We always have to be reminded as Christians we need to stay in our lane. Right, Who has been atoned for is Jesus' business. Who that message of atonement is to be brought is our business, particularly the business of the church, but the privilege that we all have as Christians to be able to take that to anybody. Anybody we meet, we can extend that same privilege to. Right? You don't need to meet someone and then say, well, you need to go talk to Pastor Bill. He'll tell you. Right? No, you can tell them. Um, I'm happy to tell them too, but, but you can tell them. And that's why we stress the theology that we stress so that you know the basic message to bring to people. 
Um, Because as good as it is to have a technique for evangelism, evangelism at the end of the day is not really about a method, it's about a message. Um, Now, it's good to think about tactics and it's good to think about apologetics. I'm not saying we should never give any thought to evangelism. But evangelism at the end of the day is not about a method. It's really about a message. And that message is simple enough to be boiled down in the second question of the catechism. If you know the second question of the catechism, you know the evangelistic word that needs to be taken to the world. Who knows what the second question of the catechism is? That's good, that's why we're here. Um, And I happen to know, so that's fine. At least one of us know. Um, Yes. Right, yeah. What's the first question? Just the question. Okay, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The second question of the catechism is, what do you need to know to live and die in the joy of that comfort? What do you need to know to live and die in the joy of that comfort? Three things. First, how great your sin and misery are. Second, how you've been set free from all your sin and misery. And third, how you're to thank God for such deliverance. You want to know what evangelism is about? That's what it's about. Right? And when you first talk to somebody, those first two are key, but the third can't be forgotten. What do I do now? Right? That's part of disciple-making, which is the real extension of evangelism. But if you know that, you know the whole truth. And you, know, you can talk to people. I remember talking to Paul Murphy, who's in New York, and he said he goes around as a hospital chaplain, and on the back of his card, he has question one of the catechism. And he talked about how he met somebody once who read that statement of faith and said, that's beautiful, I wish I had that comfort, and I don't know how to find that kind of comfort. They said, well, that's easy. That's question two, <laughs> right? What is your only comfort? How do you live and die in the joy of that comfort? By knowing those, those three things. If you know those three things, you know what to do in evangelism. People need to be, understand how great their sin and misery is and how they've been set free from that sin and misery. And then how they're to thank God for such deliverance. That, that's really all evangelism comes down to. That's the message we preach. That's the message we bring to everyone. No matter how great your sin and misery is, the infinite value of the death of Christ will cover your sin and misery. That's how you'll be set free from the judgment that's coming. Um, And then the rest of your life and service to God is how you thank him for deliverance. Um, and, And so that's what we're bringing to the world. We don't need to know who Jesus died for. He went to the cross knowing who he died for. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew those to whom the Father gave him, right? He, knows, he knew those who the Father gave him, and he said, I'm not going to lose any of them. All those he's given to me, I will lose none of them. I will raise them up on the last day. That's his business. What is our business? Not to inquire into that, but to take that glorious good news and say, if you believe in Christ, you can be sure that he died for you. Right, and so that's the glorious good news, and that's for everybody. You can preach that, that word to everyone. And that's what we're trying to do, to preach without differentiation, discrimination, wherever we can go, however far we can go, wherever we can bring the word, recognizing that we can't always bring the word where we want to. You notice that's an important part of that, of that commission in the church, that reminder. We, we bring that to all nations and people to whom God in his good pleasure sends the gospel. Right? We have to recognize in the world that 
We should try to bring it to the ends of the earth, but there are sometimes in God's sovereign plan where it goes one place and not another. Um, can you think of any examples of that in the Bible? Macedonia, right? Paul in, in Acts 16, where does he want to go? Asia, right? The province of Asia. So he wants to go one way. And he keeps bumping into ways where he says the Holy Spirit won't let me go until he ends up going a different way to a port city where he can kind of sail anywhere um, and says, well, maybe this will be the, the departure point and we'll figure out where to go from here. And that's when he sees a message saying, go to Europe. Right, the world might, might have looked very different had the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to go where he wanted to go. But the Holy Spirit didn't want him to go there. The Holy Spirit wanted him to go to Europe. Um, that was the first place the gospel was brought. We don't know where God will bring us. And so the key is to be like Paul. So Paul doesn't sit on his hands and then say, well, when you tell me, I'll go. Um, he had great you know, difficulty, went all these different places that he couldn't get into. Um, and that's what the church should try to do in the world. We can bring the gospel everywhere. We should try to get everywhere. Um, and when we find it hard to get into some places, why can't we get everywhere we want to go? Um, because the gospel goes to the places where God in his good purposes sends it. Um, we, we can't accomplish anything without his help or direction. Um, there was a great article in Table Talk where Joel, Joel Kim, president of the seminary, recounts how the gospel came to Korea. Um, and talks about the wonderful work that God did in bringing the gospel to Korea. And that if you meet somebody in Korea, chances are you have a good chance of meeting someone who's a Presbyterian. Um, why? Because the Presbyterian mission was so successful in Korea. Why was it so successful there and so unsuccessful in other places? Right? Why was Korea so embracing of the gospel? And why has Japan been continually a hard place for the gospel to go? Well, because the gospel goes where God in his good pleasure sends it. And so our task is to continue to try to bring it to the world, um, but recognize that where the gospel goes in the end of the day is God's business as well. Um, and so we try to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we bring it where we can. Um, and if we can't go somewhere, it's because we can recognize that God sends the gospel to whom he will send it. Right, Just as he has compassion on whom he'll have compassion, has mercy on whom he'll have mercy, that's not just in the saving, but also in the sending of the gospel. And so we have to work hard, but if we're ever inclined to say, why can't we go there? Um, sometimes the answer is because it's not God's time to send it there. Um, that he has another plan. And so we, we have to be active, but we also have to be resting in the sovereign good pleasure of the gospel. And so we have to bring it everywhere. We know it's sufficient for everyone. So why is it that when some people hear it, they don't believe it? Right, why, why when we read our family history, which is what the Old Testament is, do we read so often the people like us hear it over and over and over again and don't embrace it? Um, or why in your own evangelism do you talk to people and they don't embrace it? Um, what is, what's that down to? Well, Article 6 reminds us. Why, do, why when the gospel comes to people do they not believe it? Um, Article 6 says, however, that many who have been called through the gospel do not repent or believe in Christ but perish in unbelief is not because the sacrifice of Christ offered on the cross is deficient or insufficient, but because they themselves are at fault. Um, we never want to say the cross is not sufficient to save sinners. We don't want somehow to blame the efficacy of the death of the Son of God on the reason that people don't believe. 
The fault is not in the death of Christ. The fault is in the one who will not believe. Right? Um, and, we, and we see the, you know, we can just see from our passage this morning, I didn't, I didn't intentionally coordinate these things. They just seem to happen to work out in God's providence. But, you know, the, the message this morning was so, so clear. The message was so clearly put to the people. It was so clearly put to the people as it had been clearly put to the people in the law and had been clearly put to the people again and again by the prophets and was put to the people clearly by Jeremiah. This is going to be the responsibility for not listening to the Lord for refusing to do what he's called us to do, for refusing to repent and believe, turn around and repent and believe. And the elders said, hey, we have have an object lesson of how that works in King Hezekiah. Um, And the people go, thanks, but we're still going to kill the prophets and not believe. Right? And we can't in any way ascribe that failure to God. Right? It's not as if the word has failed. Um, it's that people in the hardness of their hearts have refused to believe it. Yes, sir. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we get confused between the gifting and the calling, right? That someone says, I can't come. The fact that he's calling you to come means you can come, right? The fact that you're talking to him and he's hearing it means he can come. What he's really saying is, I'm not willing to come. Um, And people are often putting the fault off on the Lord. You know, and you hear that a lot from atheists. Well, you know, if I get to heaven and there is a God, then I'll say to him, how come you didn't make yourself more clearly known? Um, now, the, 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 the fact that they think they're going to say that to a holy God is kind of ridiculous. Um, but the fact of the matter is God would be able to say, everything in this world testifies to who I am. Everything in this world that I've made testifies. And only if you close your eyes and put your hands over your ears can you really say, the world does not testify the existence of God. Um, so we always have to hear that, you know, the fool says in his heart there is no God and the fool says dumb things. Now, that's not where I'd start with evangelism by calling someone a fool. But I think we need to know that as we work with someone to recognize how their minds work that are darkened by sin. Is that it's always going to believe the lie rather than the truth and always put the blame off on somebody else. Right? That was the first reaction to sin in the fall. Was when God comes and says, did you do something I told you not to do? They say, well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's the woman you gave me, really. And when, you know, when, it, when he tries to kick the can down to her, she tries to kick the can down to the serpent. Um, that, that's the nature of sin is we're always looking for someone else to blame because sin is deceitful and tells us the lie that we're not really at fault. Um, but when the Lord says, come, when the king says, come, you need to come. I mean, and, you know, the only thing you can do with that person is continue to say, no, he is saying to you, Come. And if you won't come, that's because you don't want to, not because he doesn't want you to. I mean, but, you know, that's the difficulty of of evangelism is that we so desire to see people come and so often they don't. 
you know, one of my professors in seminary said, it's, you can almost reach the point where you as an evangelist, when someone believes, you're like, what? It worked. <laughs> like, you know, you almost get that because so often people don't hear because the way is broad that leads to destruction and the way that leads to life is narrow and the way is hard and few find it. Um, and so I would say, you know, operating in the background of that is the deceitfulness of sin, the unwillingness to, to say what's true and what's truly seen in the world is that the world itself testifies to the eternity and power of God, um, but the people who are darkened in their minds refuse to see it and they worship the creation rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Um, and so as, as Paul you know, points out, that's exactly what we do. I mean, I love to hear scientists who, profess, who are professed atheists talk about the creation and they talk about it almost in you know, theological terms the glory of what we see and the, the wonder of what we see and isn't this amazing. And, but they, they lay that all at the feet of science, not at the feet of the Lord. And so they're, they're close to the truth, but they're not, they're not in. So I think we just have to keep working different ways with people. But at the end of the day, that, that just won't hold. Someone who wants to come and can't come is not a thing. The Lord says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. The spirit says come, the bride says come, come and drink water without price. So maybe, you know, go into Revelation 22 and say, the spirit is saying come to the Lord, the bride, the church is saying come to the Lord, Christ is saying come, and he's saying you can drink the water of life without price. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of things operating in the background. Yes, ma'am. Right, and you don't know when you've laid down the groundwork that someone else might take up in the future um, to be told. But our job is to tell, not to believe. And so that's, that's also what we always have to remember is we're not in the outcome business in the church. We're in the faithfulness business. So telling somebody about Jesus, faithfully proclaiming the message of Jesus is our business. Outcomes are God's business, right? That, that's also part of staying in our lane. We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not the Lord. We can't change hearts. We can testify, but we can't move. Um, Right, yeah, to those who, the preaching of the gospel, right. When we preach, repent and believe, and they don't respond to the, but they've been called, they've heard the call to repent and believe, but they've not responded, yeah. But that definition of calling would be different than uh, Romans 8, uh, pulling the chain. In other words, I call right, the right, right. Yeah, we, we sometimes talk about in the, we want to get really fancy. We talk about the ordo salutis, the order of salvation, and we say the order of salvation starts with the effectual calling and regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Um, so the Holy Spirit makes us alive and makes us able to respond to the call. The picture of that is the valley of dry bones coming to life. Can these bones live? Well, preach to the bones, and then they have flesh, and they're standing there, a big army, uh, but they're how do they live? Well, preach to the bones, and then the Spirit puts life into them, and they become living 
you know, creatures. So um, that, that's a picture. It's the word that does all the work. It's the spirit who does all the work. He brings us to newness of life. He calls us to himself. Um, that's the starting point. Before we repent and believe, there's an effectual calling, right? But God doesn't work apart from his word. He works through his word. And so he calls us, even though the spirit has to work to effectually call us. That's sometimes why we use that word effectual, to distinguish between that's the call that the Holy Spirit works that you have to obey. Um, that, that there's no choice but to be enlivened and hear the voice of Jesus, the way he says, my sheep know my voice, they hear me and they follow me. Right, that, that's what the Spirit allows them to do is to hear the voice of Jesus. And that's why, that's why you can have the same two people sitting next to each other in a sermon and hear it and it radically changes one person and one person it leaves unaffected. Because they both heard the outward call, but one of them was effectually called by the Holy Spirit. Um, one of them came to newness of life and was enabled to respond to the gospel. Did you have a question? Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, evangelism is, in a sense, the work of every. Sure. Yeah. Is there some way we could have a pamphlet that we could take the the like a tract out to help with our evangelism that would help explain things, and that. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, what I think we have to distinguish is, is the evangelistic call of the church in the gospel and the call to individual believers. That we should all be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. We should all be equipped to talk about the gospel. But what's being spoken about here is particularly the preaching of the word in the church. Um, and so what I always say to people who are passionate for evangelism is invite people to church. Um, that, that's really what we need to do more and more. And so it's not even necessarily about having to knock on doors and do different things like that, which is all fine to do. But I think we need to distinguish because some people will point to the, the Great Commission in Matthew and say, now see, that's what all of us are to be out doing. Um, but it says, go and preach the gospel 
to all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not a commission that's given to every individual Christian. That's a, that's a commission that's given to the church. We're the place to do it. And actually, this is the place in the, in the formal preaching of the word where God has promised to work. Um, and so when we go out in personal evangelism, which is a good thing to do, and I'm not, I don't want anything I say to be sounding like I'm undermining personal evangelism. But what I'm saying is God has promised to work through the preaching of his word in a way that he has not necessarily promised to work through personal evangelism. That he's promised that where the word is preached, that is a means of grace that the spirit uses to create faith in the heart. Um, now, the church is trying to have a multiplying effect by teaching everybody the basic message and equipping them to go and bring the message out into the world. But it's the, it's the official preaching of the word that is the means of grace where God has promised to work in the hearts of believers. Where also, well, that's why the sacraments are also means of grace, where he's promised to work um, in, that, in that way to feed faith as well. And so we always have to distinguish between the two. And I think... In our culture, there's been much more of a flattening of that into evangelism is both what happens in the church and what happens in the world. And I think the evangelistic mission of the church is equipped by God to go and be successful. And so when Jesus says, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, that's what we see happening in, in the acts of the apostles through the ministry of the apostles. Um, and so we should do that. We should help to do whatever we can to be equipped. And I have pamphlets that I can that I can give you and I can recommend. Yeah, James? I say, uh, so many of us coming from evangelical backgrounds, we wouldn't like people to serve, but because of the unpredictable nature of the service, we would have to turn it in and say, this won't normally like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We have to invite them again, hope they come back. But here, if it's predictable, we can reach out to them and get the gospel. Right, yeah, true. Yeah, what do you do in churches and always, yeah, always predictable? That's a little harder. Yeah, but when you know... And you know, that's, that's part of the, the evangelistic mission of the church is that sometimes people come in and they, they say, this is different or I don't feel like I fit here. And that's part of what, what, the, what the point is. I mean, if you're not one of the saints, you shouldn't necessarily feel like a saint. So, you know, that there's some, but it's always interesting what, what draws people. You know, I was talking to one of our members this week who said, you know, what really drew me to the church was the way it took the offering. I just found that to be so different. And I thought, that's really strange. I've never heard that before. How, how is our way of taking the offering so helpful? And he said, well, because it wasn't like I didn't need to watch a, people, a group of people get up and say that this is how they gave to the Lord and this is the blessing that they got from that. And it was just presented as a simple act of worship. Now is our opportunity to give as cheerful givers. And he said, that just struck me as so different. Um, we never know what will strike people. Sometimes it's, the word has been read and there have been people who have been sitting in the back waiting to talk to the pastor and say, what you read from God's word struck me. Um, and then you, then you talked forever, and I needed to talk to you about what you'd read. Um, that can happen, you know. Uh, so we never know what the Lord is going to use, but he's promised to work here. And I think if we really have a passion for evangelism, the place we need to start is by inviting people to church. Right? Warts and all, you love your church, you come here every week. But somehow in our minds we think, no one else is going to really like this. Um, you like it, why wouldn't someone else like it? And this is the place where God has promised to work. That's, this is where he's promised to say things through his word that we might not be able to say individually to people. Um, that the word speaks in a way and the spirit works in a way that we can't always work. So we're, we're out of time this morning, unfortunately. So um, we'll, or fortunately, depending on how you see things. Um, <laughs>
but hopefully we'll, we'll take this up as we, as we continue uh, to study uh, limited atonement. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of faith when we do any kind of evangelism, whether it's preaching the word or whether it's speaking to individuals. Lord, we're mindful of how difficult it is for people to come, the deceitfulness of sin. But yet, Lord, remind us of the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome uh, any resistance that people who've been far from you um, and far further than even our neighbors have been brought to you by the working of the Holy Spirit. Even someone like the Apostle Paul who hated and was trying to kill the church um, was used by you in mighty ways. And so help us not to despair of our evangelism. Help us to continue to preach the simple message of Christ crucified for sinners. Um, We know that it will be a stumbling block for many, uh, but to those who've been called, it will be the savor of life. And so we pray that you would help us not to uh, be weary in well-doing, but to continue to bring your word um, and have good hope for the future. So help us in this. Equip us more and more by your spirit, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You're dismissed.